HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box and Clover, working together to provide restaurants with even more technology for a better hospitality experience. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. Welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, October 26, 2022, and this is our 337th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guest is a longtime baker at a legendary bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I will introduce her fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. And then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to laugh out loud. Yes, have aha moments, whether it's just from pure joy or perhaps even when things may not be going as wonderfully as desired. Fact is, we all face challenges as life is not perfect. But it's important to remember that whatever we're going through, we can approach with optimism rather than tears and fear. Laughter and a smile can help make any situation better and resolve it faster too. So let's embrace life's journey and laugh loudly. It's the best way forward. That's my tip today. Okay, I'm very excited to have my guest joining me. It is Amy Emberling. She is one of the original bakers and current partners at the legendary Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan, which opened in 1992 as a complementary business to Zingerman's Delicatessen, an Ann Arbor institution, which was founded in 1982, championing local farmers and food purveyors for more than 40 years. Amy, an avid food lover and baker, has been working in the food world for over 30 years. In 2000, she became a partner at Zingerman's Bakehouse, where she continues to be involved in hands-on baking and teaching classes, in addition to managing the overall business. 
Without further ado, hi, Amy. Welcome to the show. Hi, Sherry. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I've talked about it on the shows that uh, leading up to this one, and I'm going to mention it now again, that I am a proud University of Michigan graduate. Go Blue! And I overlapped these years with the Bakehouse, and I obviously know Zingerman's. And so I'm really, really excited about this show and to be chatting with you. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I think one of the the most fortunate things that ever happened to Zingerman's was being in the same town as University of Michigan because of all of you alumni who leave and uh, support us in your new homes. What, when did you come to school here? What year? I was in school from, from 91 to 95. I graduated in 95. I'm, I'm the class of the Fab Five. Oh, <laughs> wow. That, that was, yes, I know. That was a good year. It was, I mean, the sports have always been incredible, but yeah, I was very lucky with my timing between basketball and, and football and even hockey. I mean, it was incredible, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Joan Howard and Chris Weber. Those are, those are my, my uh, peers. <laughs> wow. That, amazing. Amazing. And did you go to school at all during this? <laughs> No. No, I only went to football games on the weekend, but yes, no, I, I went to school. I um I I loved it. I mean, I, I really, I really loved it. It was a you know, it's an amazing campus. Um for people who don't know Ann Arbor, it's also, I think, a really great food town and like a small I mean, I I think it really did help me launch or 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 where I discovered my love for food more really started at Michigan. I mean, I graduated liberal, liberal arts. I wasn't thinking I would get into the hospitality culinary field at that time, but mm-hmm. um, my memories and my experiences definitely influenced um, how I got to where I am today. So yeah. Yeah. Interesting. But what, but enough about me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about you because your background, I mean, you're, you, you grew up in Nova Scotia, Canada. So I saw from your bio um, yeah. and, and then your education, you want to talk a little about um, that, you, you know, your schooling and then what led you to, to Ann Arbor? Yeah, sure. So I um, had the good fortune of going to Harvard and I, um, I joke, I did go to class. I didn't go to a lot of sporting events, probably a good <laughs> choice when you go to Harvard, but I did spend a lot of time eating out and, uh, even took some cooking classes at sort of the, the sort of like community organization that held different sorts of classes, um, in the Cambridge area and people in you know, my friends and, and some sort of, you know, graduate students were always like, are you kidding me? You're taking a cooking class. It was not very popular. I went to Harvard from 84 to 88. And um, it was not necessarily super cool to be into food uh, when I was there. Now, you know, they have these whole courses and it's a big deal. It was not a cool thing when I was there. I mean, it was okay, but uh, nobody expected that um, any of us would end up being in the hospitality industry. But I always loved food and um, I loved to make it. I loved going out to restaurants from the time I was a young child. And uh, so I went to school. I studied American social history and sort of um, some philosophy. 
And I was very interested in social movements. And I think that finding myself at Zingerman's makes a lot of sense because we're sort of a combination of really caring about food, but also trying to do things a little bit differently, work in a different way, govern the organization in a different way. And uh, so it's a really nice combination of my interests. Yes. So, and, and yeah, side note, my nephew's now at Harvard. So, and I'm always, I, I just went to visit and it's, it's, I mean, I was thinking that's, this is a great place to be at school <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, happy for him. So, so, so what brought you to, so how did you get to Zingerman's? Um, Cause you, yeah. you lived here in 1992. Right. And so, you know, even though, um, uh, I was pretty political and would say I was a feminist. I have to admit that I came here with the person who was my boyfriend at the time. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I followed a man, but I chose to come and he has since become my husband. And so that w it was a good choice. So he wanted to go to graduate school here and I was ready not to be in school for some period of time. So I said, okay, I'll come to Ann Arbor with you and uh, I'm going to have some fun. I'm going to work in I think I'm going to try to get a job in a restaurant kitchen. Uh, and so I did. There's a restaurant here in Ann Arbor that's called The Earl. I don't know its exact date that it started, but it was sometime in the 70s and it's still going. So it's one of those sort of Ann Arbor institutions. I don't know if you remember it, Sherry. It's in a, in, it's downstairs, downtown. I mean, it's underground and they always had piano players. Um, they're I known do. For their... I'm not as familiar okay. with it, but yes. Right. So I got my first job um, working at the Earl and I really loved working in um, the restaurant. I thought, oh my gosh, how did I go to school for all those years and learn in that sort of very passive kind of way? I'm clearly uh, really like to learn by doing. So I, I love the people, the odd group of people that are often in um, kitchens, especially at that time. And uh, so I thought about going to graduate school or I thought I should, you know, become a lawyer, get a real job. Uh, but I ended up deciding not to do that. I went to cooking school. I was still in Ann Arbor because my husband was getting his PhD. So it takes, you know, a long time. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't finding my home in any of the restaurants that I was working in. And I thought, gosh, you know, maybe this is not going to work for me. Um, and I had heard that it was only Zingerman's Delicatessen at the time. Uh, and I loved going there. And so I thought, you know, I'm going to ask the owners there where they think I should get a job because I don't, I, I love what they, I love being a customer there, but I didn't really want to make sandwiches. They make great sandwiches. It's just not what I wanted to do. And so I saw Ari Weinsweig, who's one of the founders. And I said, Ari, you know, where should I go and get a job? I really, this is what I'm interested in. And he said, you know, my friend Frank is opening a bakery. Why don't you go see if you can get a job with him? He didn't say he was opening a bakery with Frank, but that was exactly what was happening. Uh, they were opening Zingerman's Bakehouse. That's what we're talking about today. It was this, going to be the second Zingerman's business. So the sort of the, the business that would allow us to start to say that we were a community of businesses. And I went and I um, applied for a job. And that's, as they say, the rest is history. Wow, that's funny the, the way he he approached it or told you about it. <laughs> yes, it's it's very Ari, very humble, a little bit indirect. Uh, it's okay. It didn't matter. Um, <laughs> I, I would have gone whether he said it was his or not. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm trying to, I mean, thinking back of my memory and I remember, I remember expansions over at Zingerman's 
and I, um, I mean, it was 92, so I was there. So it was the bakehouse. I mean, the thing, the thing with being a student there was we didn't go there as often as I would like to wish almost because actually it's for it's it's a little pricey for student students I would say okay. or at least back mm-hmm. then so it was more like when my parents came to town like we went sometimes but I wouldn't say I went like all the time um I think that's still somewhat the case Sherry even though I I think students today have more money than I think many of us felt like we had when we were students. Sort of student life is not the way it used to be. Um, It's kind of nicer. Uh, So I also, Zingerman's, for those of you who don't know Ann Arbor, we're right there on campus, the Delicatessen. I mean, it's really close in terms of you live in a big city. It's, you know, I don't know, an eight minute walk or something. But I think for that reason, also, maybe students didn't, don't always go there all the time. The price and it's not entirely central. Yeah, it was a little off think? campus, but but so but I remember, I mean, I have the visual, I have a lot of visuals of it, but why don't you talk a little bit about I mean, back then, 1992 to 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 now. I mean, if you go, first of all, if you go to your website and there's multiple websites and there's so many different branches of how Zingerman's has grown, but the bakehouse was the first um, addition to the deli. Right, exactly. Right. So it was really, we didn't even talk about um, Zingerman's community of businesses. It wasn't, it wasn't, it may have been maybe in some conversations that Ari and Paul, the other founder, Paul Saginaw, had together, but it was just that there was Zingerman's Delicatessen. And then these guys were going to open up this other business and they decided that they would share the name and it was called, you know, Zingerman's Bakehouse. And so the founding partner of the bakehouse his name is frank carollo and i remember he tells me that uh you know a couple of years later they started zing train which is our business that teaches um our business practices um to other organizations and then zingerman's mail order and at that time there were maybe five partners or so maybe there were there were six of them and they started having meetings and uh frank says he told Polidari, you know, I don't have time for these meetings and I didn't sign up for this. So, it, you know, it really has changed significantly from then, from, you know, just being another business, you know, two businesses with the same name to the kind of organization. There are 10 businesses. There are about 20 partners. We meet every two weeks. There's a lot of meeting. There's a lot of governing. And so it's, a, it's an entirely more developed um, culture. You know, I, I was here from 92 to 96. And I was an employee of the bakery and sort of, you know, it felt like a great place and that there were interesting things happening and a distinctive culture. And that's why it worked for me and maybe why some of the other restaurants I hadn't felt so at home. And, and then I left uh, for four years. And what was fascinating is when I came back in 2000, they had really, um, they had dis- documented the culture and started to teach the culture. So it had really took a, it was transformed. There was really a there there. So all the things that I sort of maybe knew intuitively or felt were unusual or special, they had started to put words to it and describe it and teach it so that it would continue and it wouldn't just be reliant on if you got to work with Frank or if you were working with Polinari, that's what your experience would be, but rather that all of us could work together to kind of give this experience and to continue to develop it. I mean, as I say to people now, because we have a welcome to the class at at the bakehouse, you know, we are now all co-creators. There's no they there. 
there. We're all us and what we're doing every day, you know, you're a part of making as much as I'm a part of making. And so the, the, the organization has really become more sort of complicated and sophisticated uh, over the last, I mean, it's, it's 40 years. The deli just had its 40th anniversary on last March 15th and the bakehouse had its 30th this past September 12th. So yeah, a lot has changed. Well, I don't, I mean, there's, I was trying to think there really isn't anything that I can think of like what Zingerman's, like Zingerman's to go from a deli, especially in a small college town like Ann Arbor and what it's, what it is today. I mean, you say Zingerman's to, I mean, I say mostly people in the industry, but people know it from the mail order, you know, like it's, it's a brand Mm -hmm. that's just, and between the Zing train and everything you've done, it's, it's incredible. So the time that you, that you left, you, you were here in New York for grad school. Is that, and then, yeah. So I, I landed in New York. I wasn't coming there. My husband got a job there and I thought, Oh my gosh, you know, he's an archeologist. Um, he was, um, not making a huge amount of money. And uh, we had two children already. And I thought, oh, you know, I don't want to be a baker in New York. Um, and, and I didn't necessarily have good reasons for that. So like, we don't need to get into that. But that's where my mind was. And I better go to, I better, you know, somebody better make some money. So I went to business school. Um, I worked as a consultant for all of 10 months. And then they wanted another partner. And we were Oh, we were ready to um, do something different. So we came back to Ann Arbor. Got it. So then, so, so let's talk a little about um, the bakehouse menu and everything. I mean, even just on, I mean, it's a little overwhelming, I have to say, going through everything you guys do, even just the one, one website for the bakehouse you have, I mean, you, you have your breads and your, your pastries and your, and then, and then you're talking about your wedding cakes and your, your grains and flour and. <laughs> right. It's too much, isn't it, Sherry? Too it's much. In, well, it's, it's, it's incredible. So how, so how do you manage all that? And what's your role um, in, in all this, all these, all these aspects of just the bakehouse? Right. Yeah. So, you know, you bring up something that's really interesting and we're actually uh, redoing our website right now. And um, we're having this debate because I don't want to put everything on the website that we do. And uh, the people that we're working with think it's really great. And we should have like an encyclopedia of what we're doing up on the website. So, um, well, I'm so, not, I wasn't okay. criticizing it by any means. Just I was saying there's just it's it it's more it's just the impressive how many things you're doing, and I I, I mean I think it's good to have all that out there. It's just it's a lot. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, so it's a what happened was we started as a wholesale artisan bread bakery. We had no intention of doing any of the other things that we were doing. And we started with only five kinds of breads and, you know, and one customer, and that was Zingerman's Deli. And so we, we stuck with that for a couple of years. And then Paul and Ari wanted us to make some of the sweet things that they were making at the delicatessen because they didn't have room for it and they were often not getting to it. So they said, why don't, you know, you guys are doing a good job. Why don't you take that on? So that's when we started a pastry kitchen. And I was here at the time, and then when I came back, and I actually have sort of a greater love for pastry than bread. I mean, I love to make bread, but I 
love to both make pastry and eat it. So <laughs> it's just, so my heart was in pastry and my, and Frank Carollo's heart was really in bread. So that, those are the cornerstones of the bakery. And then if we eventually opened a shop, I also always loved uh, the experience of being a child and having birthday cakes. So that's when we started doing the cakes and uh, having custom designed cakes. Um, so now you, that's how it grows to more things. And then we, um, we love to teach at Zingerman's and we love to share what we know. And so that's when we started to, uh, work on our, create our teaching bakery, which is just called bake. And it's where you can go and have classes for, uh, it's home bakers. It's not for professional bakers. And then within all of that, um, you know, we're making many, many different things because we make Jewish things and we make American things. And then we make a lot of Western European and then a few Hungarian things. Um, so, you know, I just think that when you have a group of, I, I've been thinking about why do we make so many things? Why has it become this way? Well, I think when you have a group of people that are really energetic and love what they do and love what, um, love to learn that it, we end up making lots of different things. And then we really care about customer service and, you know, customers want a lot of different things. So they come to us and sort of expect that we will um, be able to give them what they want. And we often, you know, we, we try to do that. So we've been making a huge quantity uh, of items because of it. So when you asked me what my role is and uh, when, you know, my partner Frank retired, I guess it's almost two years ago now. And so before he retired, we divided the bakery up between uh, us and sort of what areas we were particularly say good at or um, passionate about. So I, I did, the cakes and pastries and the school and the shop. So, and a lot of the business development and sort of the innovation, we would say that I was the innovator and he was the optimizer. He's an engineer by training and uh, he spent a lot of his time helping us create really great systems so that we could actually make all of these things. Now he's gone. I have a new partner um, who's worked here for most of the last 20 years, but he's just taken on this role of being a partner. And so a lot, what I spend a lot of my time doing, Sherry, is mentoring people, supporting the many managers and leaders that we have in the building, helping them do their jobs well, and then trying to set with them, leading them in discussion, the long-term um, vision of, you know, what are we going to do next? What do we want to accomplish in the next five years? So much more of the sort of big picture stuff. I do still work um, in the kitchens, especially at this time of year, many hours a day. But I think uh, overall, I'm much more about supporting other people's development and helping keep the bakery sort of on track and looking forward and, and continuing to evolve and learn and, and be current. Um, you know, when you're here for 30 years, it's a, it's a little bit of a challenge because people like the way you were doing things. But if you want to be current and learn and change, then you sometimes have to change what you're doing. And that that is... Um, that can be um, that can be a little bit of a PR issue and bringing the customers along. So that that's how I spend my time. Yeah, well, it's a, it's I mean, even just it's a long time. Just it just I mean, what's changed over the past thirty years, even between technology and social media, and how I mean, back when I was at school, I didn't have I didn't have a phone that I could go to Zingerman's and snap pictures of everything <laughs> yeah, exactly. and post on Instagram. I mean, it's a whole different world now. And, and people are, I think, generally speaking, like younger people are much more knowledgeable or, in, you know, about food because there's so much access to everything. Um, yes, 
Yes. You know, the Food Network started in 1992, which is the year the bakehouse opened. And, you know, so I just think of that as quite a milestone in our culture and the sort of the democratization of food knowledge. And so, so much has changed uh, since then in people's expectations, dietary habits. Um, you know, when we yeah. opened, restaurants still put bread on the table and we had a fax machine. Well, that is like, <laughs> that yeah, is really the dark ages, right? Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. I know, Crazy. it's so funny. But so how many people are on this team now? At least, or I mean, with how many people are involved with Bakehouse? Right. So the bakery, we're op- we are open seven days a week, and we deliver to wholesale customers seven days a week. Which which means that we it might sound like a lot of people. We have about a um, hundred and twenty, a hundred and forty people, um, depending on the time of year. And you know there are cleaners and truck drivers and accountants and uh, probably in terms of bakers, I would say we have about. 45 or 50 people spending their time baking only. Got it. Well, um, yeah. And I'm just thinking you're eating very well. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that, that can be a challenge. You know, when you think about when I started, I was 26. I could, I had a very, uh, my appetite was a lot bigger and um, I was less concerned with what I ate now at, 56 eating it plays a different role in my life and so that that can be a challenge being in this business and yeah. having changed personally for sure okay so i have two questions for you from my last guest because i did a little rescheduling and they're both great questions completely different um so i wanted to ask you them the first one i'm going to do episode 336 first it's uh jeff katz he's the co-owner of alcoro mills and discolo in nyc and he wants to know how do you take the zingerman's philosophies and apply them to the baking department and he noted that he is familiar with zingerman's and that he's done some of your awesome zing train things he said with um his team and your training team so hmm. i was like that's great yeah. Well, I think, you know, it, it doesn't really matter that it's a bakery. So those, you know, the, these, we call them re- organizational recipes, you know, they happen to come out of a delicatessen, but, you know, Zing Train teaches libraries and government agencies and people at University of Michigan Medical Center. And so, you know, the great service and giving great service to customers or to each other, it really doesn't matter what the context is. It's totally transferable. So I think most of, you know, the um, philosophies and training that is taught is completely easily teachable. Uh, I'm not, I wonder what he was thinking about that he thought might be challenging, but um, I can't actually even imagine doing business. I've been here doing it like this for so long. I can't really imagine doing it differently. So yeah, no, he. Easy. I don't. He didn't say. He just. He said. He says it's been awesome doing the things with uh. your program. Um, uh. So um, I was just. Yeah, he was familiar with it. I didn't get into him exactly which programs or how you know what he did with Zing Train. And I mean, also from your site, I saw you have books and webinars and workshops. I mean, there's there's different programs. Yes. Yeah. Right. It's all it. I I think they 
they're all quite translatable into our setting from yeah. open book management is one thing that we do a lot, which is not familiar to a lot of people. So, you know, sharing all of the key metrics of the business and we have weekly uh, what we call huddles in each department for about 15 minutes where we talk about the key metrics of that area and let people figure out, okay, how are we going to improve them or what can we do differently? And I, for anyone who's wondering about, you know, what we do at Zingerman's that might be interesting to them, I would say that that has made the biggest difference in our organization and at the bakery in the last 20 years. And I highly recommend trying it. We didn't create it. We didn't create it. Um, uh, there's a whole Jack Stack wrote a book about it. And I, if somebody, anybody's interested, I think that's an, an, uh, a really valuable uh, thing to look into. Awesome. Okay, so the second question I have is from episode 335. I had on Anthony Giglio. He's a wine and spirits authority. He had a personal question. <laughs> he has launched um, Side Gig Super Salt, um, and he wants to see if he can send you a jar um, to see maybe how you can apply it and what a master baker thinks of it. And he told a story about how in 2017, he, when he just started started it, he was he had a, someone at the fancy food show um, had it um, at their table, and he said a head buyer for Zingerman's came by and tried it, and and said when you're when you're ready, send it to us. And he he there's more there's more that he shared about the Zing, the Zingerman's rep said like don't don't let anyone tell you to you know what to do or how to change how you're doing it. Like do it how you want to do it. So. Oh. Yes. Sounds like us. Yes. Tell them, send it over and I'll look at it and I'll share it with all the other um, chefs in the organization and let them and Zingerman's mail order. Uh, we have a tasting meeting once a month where we taste all kinds of food that people are sending us that they would like us to consider selling or using. And uh, we'll, I'll take it to the tasting meeting. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I I will make the connection. I have to get on him. He did not offer to send it to me, and I was sort of like, "Come on, <laughs> <laughs> one for you and one for me." Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But Anthony, I will, I will let him know to, that you are you are um, open to receiving it. So cool, and yeah, I'm curious to see what you think about it too, because um, I know he's he's put a lot into it. So, um, and I'm sure you do try a lot of salts. <laughs> yes, salt is a huge thing here more at, at the um there i mean the delicatessen and zingerman's mailers sell an incredible variety of salts we use sea salt in all of our baking but they have more variety than we do yeah yeah well i, I do i mean i do rem i mean the i'm thinking my memory of the experience of going and waiting in line and then going through the 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 market in the front and seeing all the different products. I mean, it's it's an experience when you go to Zingerman's. I mean, I'm due to come back so and see how it's changed. Yeah, um, yeah. great memories. And uh, before we take a break, just one more question: Like, what advice would you give to someone who wants to get into, let's say, baking or or creating a company as wildly successful as Zingerman's? Mm -hmm. hmm. Well. One bit of advice that, well, two bits of advice that people gave to me along the way of just a, about life and one about actual work was if there's something that you want to do, go and learn from the people who do it really well. 
So if you want to be a really great baker, there are a lot of incredible bakeries uh, in the United States and around the world, obviously. Go and work at some of them and learn from those people. Don't work in mediocre places. Work at great places if you want to be great. And then there was a chef who was the chef at um, St. Francis Hotel in San Francisco who told me before I came to the bakery, um, look for a startup because if you really want to make an impact, you have a greater possibility of going to a startup. So I thought that was interesting. And when the when I had the opportunity to start the bakery, I could hear him saying that. And I thought, okay, well, here's a startup. I'll see how that goes. Obviously, it, it went well for me. But from a Zingerman's perspective, it's sort of funny what you are saying about um, the um, salt maker. Yeah, I think we really, um, we teach visioning. We And visioning is when you describe your preferred future. So we even, you know, we write them down, we share visions, and we write them in the future, but in present tense. And so what we say is don't get hung up on the hows, but figure out what is it that, like, if it, things were really going well, if it was really the life that you wanted or the career that you wanted, what would it look like? And once you write that down, then start working toward it. And you will find ways. Maybe you won't hit the whole thing. Maybe you won't get 100% of what you write, but maybe you'll get 80%. And wouldn't that be great? And it doesn't include the hows. And it's don't edit yourself and what you, um, you know, think, oh, that will never happen. Or I can't do that. Or I don't have enough money. Or that'll take too long. Forget all those things. And just think about what is it that I really want to do? And then try to share it with other people and see how far you can get. Uh, so I, I would recommend that to someone who wants to, you know, start a business in whatever field or just thinking about their career. I love it. That's awesome. Awesome advice. And, and actually with my PR tip, I was looking at your, um, your zigging train and I got a little inspired with that. There was something in there about laughing, um, laughing out loud at the process or, while challenges mm-hmm. come, so I was I, I found that inspiring too because I do think sometimes we 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 get so stressed out when things aren't going our way, but it is good to to laugh or to to just uh, see try to see the bright side of things and that we'll get through it. But um, that is awesome advice. And uh, on that note, we will take a little break and we will come back. We'll play my speed round, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience in the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. With over 70% of diners researching restaurants online before they go in person, a strong digital presence is more important than ever. Bento Box's website, marketing tools, and commerce platform help restaurants get discovered online, make more money, and engage diners in person and virtually. And Clover's world-class POS and payment system streamlines daily operations for a totally seamless experience. With Bento Box and Clover working together, Restaurants now have an all-in-one solution that makes it easy to deliver better hospitality from the kitchen to tableside and beyond. Bento Box and Clover, the right recipe for hospitality. Visit getbento.com better to learn more. That's getbento.com 
B-E-T-T-E-R. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and my guest today is Amy Emberling. She is founding baker and current partner at Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And Amy, it is time for my speed round game. So are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. I'm very nervous. I'm terrible at games, I got to tell you. So, okay, I'll try. I'm going to, I'll try. You're going to be great. It's easy. It's an easy, fun game. I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. Okay. Okay. So here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat out. Indoor dining or alfresco dining? Ooh, well, if it's good weather, alfresco for sure. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking I have sat outside. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking Ann Arbor temperatures. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, have, yeah. I have been at your picnic tables outside, but yeah, you got to hit that right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do, absolutely. That's why if, it, you know, if it's nice out, I am outside because, you know, living in Michigan, you've got to savor every good moment of weather. Right. So. right. Okay, how about wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Oh, cocktail for sure. Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. I like to choose my own things. Got it. Small plates or large plates? Oh, so interesting. I really don't like small plates, large plates. (laughs) (laughs) So many people love small plates. It just doesn't work for me. So I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah, it is. How about communal table or chef's counter? Um, both. Either. I know I'm not supposed to say that, but I like them both. Just fun experiences. Got it. Okay. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Uh, Happy to tip. Great. Okay. A few more. Number two, Zingerman's Reuben. Number 48, Benny's Brooklyn Reuben. Number 81.5, Rick's 50 slash 50 mix or the Georgia Reuben. Oh, so funny. Number 48, every day, all the time. I I almost have never eaten any other sandwich because I like it so much. Amazing. And that's the pastrami one. Okay. That's right. Yes, I love pastrami. Yeah, just these, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I kind of, I would, if I was choosing, I would do that one. Or I kind of, I know I like the Georgia one too with the turkey. Yes. Yes, you know what? I it's a it, good one. That is my second one. I'm definitely not a straight traditional Reuben person. Yeah, yeah. They're all. I mean, they're they're all so good. I want one right now. Okay, um, a few more. Uh, old school apple pie, Buenos Aires brownies, or gingerbread <laughs> coffee cake. I heard you might have had something to do with these. Yeah, I think <laughs> I like old school apple pie. Okay. Um, I'm sure they're all delicious. And yes, I want to have them all now too. Um, Okay. Cheese plate or dessert? Oh, dessert for sure. I mean, cheese, maybe, you know, not as dessert. Cheese first, dessert at the end. And Manhattan or Brooklyn or Ann Arbor? Oh, Manhattan for for trips. 
Ann Arbor to live. Ah, oh, that's nice. I had a, I, and I, I had a, a boat. Well, I had another one in there with sports. I don't even know. Are you a big, are you a big sports person? I was going to ask you between Michigan football or basketball or another sport. You know, I, no, I, I, well, you know, I don't, my family is a big sports family, but when you work in the food business in Ann Arbor, at least, you know, you, you're working when there are these big things because there are so many people in town. Um, so I never really enjoy them. Um, yeah. but I'm Canadian. So I'd have to say if we had to choose, it would be Michigan hockey. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Very cool. And you're right. It's, that's one thing people forget with the hospitality industry that, hospitality workers are working during the these events and maybe making some cookies too with like a, <laughs> yeah yeah football means something very blue different cookies. To me. it, means, <laughs> it means yeah it be exactly blue m cookies or it just means it means it means great business you know sometimes you can think oh it's going to be tiring but you know we're lucky to have yeah um, the university here and all that business. So football, and then, you know, in the, at the Earl, that first restaurant that I worked in, you know, we talked about football Fridays and 400 covers before the football game the next day. So it's, uh, it really shapes your, your life when you're in the hospitality industry here. And I'm sure in all the big 10 cities and, or any big cities that have, uh, lots of sports. For sure. Okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times. It's entitled, The Company Once Known as Restoration Hardware is Opening Restaurants. Why? The furnishings store has moved into the hospitality business, but the food may not be the point. And this is by Priya Krishna. So this is talking about restoration hardware, which goes by R.H., I believe now, and talking about it focuses on how the popular chain of RH restaurants um, that they're really we're really focusing a bit more on the aesthetics than the food, and it's that's more the main draw for customers. Um, and they've gone, I mean, they've they've now have fifteen restaurants across the U.S. and Canada. Um, they're planning to do more. They're connected to the stores and. This article also said that each restaurant earns an average of ten million annually. Yeah, which was like, pretty, pretty wow. impressive. Yeah, impressive. Yeah, right. I've been, you know, what was funny as I read the article um, when it came out, and then you know you sent it to me, and I had been in that first one in Chicago. Me too. In twenty. Oh, so funny. And I we happened upon it. We had just moved homes and we took we drove to chicago or you know excited to be in a new home and thought oh we'll go let's go um furniture shopping in chicago and so we went there and i was so confused when i came upon the restaurant like what is going on here exactly and the whole store had a very different feel like was it really a store or just a showcase or so it, it's it was funny and interesting to read the article um, yeah. So I I wonder what you know what your experience was when you went into that store. What well, you think about this? When I I believe I mean it said it opened in 2015, and I've been going to Chicago for the James Beard Awards since it started there. And I think of, when I was there, I remember a friend of mine who was from Chicago. I was looking for a place to go to do work on like the day after the awards, and she mentioned it as. Three Arts Club Cafe, which was what it's called at, at the store, as a place to go. And that, so I went and I was like, 
wow, this was, I was, I mean, the restaurant was like kind of an atrium in the middle of the space. And then you could hang out on the couches or the dining yeah. tables with your laptop and do work. So I was like, I thought it was, I was fascinated by it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was fascinated, you know, both confused, intrigued. Yeah, exactly. And also, but it was like kind of strange. I'm like, okay, I'm just allowed to like, okay, I had lunch and it was, it was a great lunch, but now I can just, I can just use this as a workspace or just, it was, I always found it a little confusing of what it was, but then they opened one in New York too, which I've been to, which is in the meatpacking district and it's on the rooftop. And I went, it opened right before the pandemic. Um, and it's mm. very, I mean, it's, I know it's open again now. I haven't been back, but it's fancy. It's like a beautiful rooftop with chandeliers and it's kind of a, uh, American, more traditional, I don't know, like American type menu, but it's not, mm -hmm. it's, it's pricey. It's, and I don't, um, the article also talked about, they had a chef consulting on the menu, but they didn't say who it was like someone very famous. <laughs> um, right. Right. So it's, but it's, it's, they're very, they're beautiful because it's a, you know, a furniture store designing it, but it's almost, it's, it's not, it's, it's a little pricey. And I don't, I don't know, I guess I don't know exactly who their customers are, but they're finding the customers because they're, they're expanding. They're very successful. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what I, what it made me think, you know, the article doesn't say, it says that the CEO, you know, wants to turn them into a luxury brand. Well, it seemed like they're, you know, maybe not in, uh, it seemed like restoration hardware was already relatively luxury, but I wondered like, why, what is going on that they feel like they needed to expand in this direction? Or what were they hoping to achieve by having people um, come and eat there? And that was not explained in the article. And, you know, I imagine that they do have a clear strategy, but I'm sort of wondering, you know, what, what is it? Um, yeah. So, I'm not sure, but it's interesting and they've been very successful and they're, they're not, it is this like, yeah, this lifestyle brand. I, I wonder also just as far as, I mean, people going in their store and who are sh like how many people who dine there are also shoppers or yeah. it's like a yeah. different audience. Yes. I would think it, you know, I'm sure there's some crossover, but probably a different audience, but as a serious food person, I don't know that I would think of going there for the food, maybe for the atmosphere. Not to say that the food isn't good. It sounded like they were making a big effort to make the food good. But I have this sort of, I have a little bit of skepticism. And it's not fair. I'm not saying it's a reasonable judgment or skepticism. But I do have some skepticism about food places in stores. Maybe it's a little of a generational bias um, that I have. But... I don't know. Anyway, it's I I um uh, I think it's interesting. I and clearly they're doing well because that's a really nice revenue re uh, level for those restaurants. So uh, I wonder if they're getting what else they wanted from it, though. I don't know. We'll see if there's a follow up piece to this. But I I agree with you. I I feel I would go back. I think my experience is the food has been good. 
or, or, you know, or, or maybe possibly even I'd say great, but I feel like value wise, I don't know if it's, I feel, I don't know if I would be running there just for a meal. I feel it would be more going for the ambiance and kind of like, um, I don't know, like a different type of experience than like mm-hmm. a, a tra- more traditional restaurant. So, yeah. um, yeah. but yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And I, yeah, the Chicago one is still, um, yeah, it, it, I could see walking in there though, of you being like, what is this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is yeah. happening here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I still, what's so funny is that, but it, I, maybe this, you know, is good they're doing a good job because I, you know, that was in 2015 Mm -hmm. and I still have visual memories of, of both where the food was, but also the rest of the store. So perhaps they're onto something about just really engaging you. um, Yeah. By the experience. I'm not sure. I mean, I don't have visual memories of a a lot of other um, uh, furniture stores that I visited on that trip, but I certainly remember that experience. Yeah. Yeah. Well, something they're doing work. So yeah. Yeah. Good for our age. Absolutely. Cool. Okay. So before my solo dining experience, I just want to recap a little bit, some of the events I've gone to in New York city. It's, you know, it's things are back and busy with the fall season. Events are back. And um, so a couple of things I went to, I went to the New York Times Food Festival, which is on Saturday, October 8th at Damrosh Park at Lincoln Center. And this was presented by Amex and Resi. It was a really wonderful outdoor all-day event. It had awesome food and drinks and some panels. Kim Severson led a panel with Danny Meyer and Ami Anuachi. Um, the cast of The Bear did a panel. It was great food, like Bonnie's and Damaka. Um and and it was it was it was it was really well executed. Um, if you want to check that out, that's uh, nytimes.com backslash events backslash food festival twenty twenty two. And then the NYC Food and Wine Festival um, was October thirteenth to sixteenth, and that was this is the fifteenth year they've been celebrating it in New York City. And this year was supporting God's Love We Deliver. And I went on Thursday night to the Burger Bash and it was pouring rain. And I, I don't know, I can't, I don't know how many Burger Bashes I've been to, over a dozen, I would say. Um, but it's the first time I remember having an umbrella and kind of walking around and, and just getting absolutely drenched, um, but kind of embracing it. <laughs> and uh-huh. I went around and saw, saw some of the chefs I knew, like the Shake Shack team and, um, and it was in a in a in a messy way. It was it was really fun. And then on um, on Saturday, I ended up at a dinner, um, a special dinner at the Yale Club that was um, with Alan Shia of Saba and Miss River in New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Safta, um, are, you, are you familiar with him? I absolutely yes. He's been to Zimmerman's. I mean, absolutely yes. Yeah. And what about Andrew Zimmer? And I mean, he's a Minneapolis guy, um, not. Not that far, I guess, from. Well, I don't know no. that 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 Midwest um, um, 
stuff. But um, anyways, they did a dinner and together, they a collab. And uh, my friend Gia Vecchio um, had invited me. She works with Elan. And it was fantastic. It was a multi-course menu dinner. Um, they took us down the Mississippi River. And I guess the highlight was they did a second line. They called it their fried chicken second line, like through the restaurant. And they were flaming baked Alaskas. And it was really oh, fun. Wow. Um, oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it was it was a good time, and um, uh, it was all part of the NYC Wine and Food Festival, and and also it was it was part they it was a partnership with Bosan, which is a dry drinks and mixology shop, and so they had non alcoholic pairings for this meal, which was very cool because I haven't been um, to to see really any dinner so far that that's done that, but that's starting to become more of a thing, so. It was great. Um, And that's nycwff.org if anyone wants to check that out. And thank you to them. And thank you to NY uh, Times as well. Um, And lastly, I'll just say, I'm like, been busy. Um, I'm a member of Le Dame d'Escoffier New York. And this last weekend, we hosted uh, Le Dame um, International Conference. and it was at the Intercontinental New York Barclay. And I led a seminar on, well, I was the moderator of a seminar on marketing and communications in the hospitality industry for panelists on, on, the, on the stage with me, all PR marketing experts. And um, it was very well received and I was very honored to be leading this panel. So, and that's ldei.org and ldny.org. So, um, um, really great stuff. And, um, I will now go into my solo dining experience. So this week I went to S and P. So here's the rundown. The location, 174 Fifth Avenue near 22nd Street in Flatiron District, New York City. The concept, a new place at a very old lunch counter open for business. Owners, Court Street Grocers, Eric Finkelstein and Matt Ross. Why did I go? Well, I was nostalgic about this classic New York City institution, which was the iconic Eisenberg sandwich shop. The founder of that was Monis Eisenberg, and it closed in the pandemic, and Court Street Grocers took it over and just recently reopened it. And I think people were concerned about them keeping the integrity of the place and 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 what it was. But I have to say they did an amazing job and I was happy to be back. Um, and I love Court Street Grocer too. They, they make really great sandwiches. Um, so I'm kind of th- keeping with a theme here on this show. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my experience. So last week on, it was a Tuesday, I went for a late lunch. Um, they're only open morning and afternoon, I think till like five. And uh, it was actually pretty busy. The, the It's mostly counter seats and then there's a small uh, dining room in the back. But um, most of the counter seats were taken, but I got one towards the back. I settled in. I looked over the menu, chatted a little with my server, and decided what to get. I had some leftovers. Um, and then at the end, they don't they don't give you a bill. You just go up at the end to the cashier up front. And you tell her what you got. You pay. Um, we chatted a little bit about the neighborhood, too. And I had a really nice time. So what did I get? Well, I went with the tuna melt which is something they're known for, Um, tuna salad, American cheese on griddled rye, and I had a coffee. I almost got the Reuben. (laughs) 
next time I'll get the ribbon. Um, my take, I mean, if this is the place to get a tuna melt, if you're going to get a tuna melt, it's, it's a really good one. Um, I do not, not something I order often, um, but it really hit the spot and it was delicious and great coffee too. So the ambiance, I'd say same, same, but different. It's got this large counter. Uh, it's perfect for soloists. And um, and again, in the back is a casual dining room, and it's pretty minimalistic. I would say they kept it mostly how it was. The big change I noticed, which I, I, I think was a good call, is they improved the bathroom. So <laughs> nice new bathroom. Um, I'd say it's perfect for a solo breakfast or lunch or to meet a friend. Interesting tidbit. So Eisenberg's originally opened in 19, I think 29. I saw something 28, but either 28 or 29. Um, it's known for dishing up all day breakfast, Jewish style deli food, hearty deli sandwiches. And they're known for their egg creams and their tuna melt, as I said. And I also read that the owner at the time, Monas Eisenberg, opened it in order to feed his family during the Depression. I was amazed how long the Eisenbergs have been here. Um, and then on their website, I saw they're doing a pop-up in San Francisco, which was now, currently, which I thought was cool. Okay, so personal fun fact, my first PR job in 2000 was in the Flatiron Building, which is right across the street from this location. So I feel a connection to to this neighborhood. Uh, the cost of my meal was $14.50, not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Their website is sandwich.place and Instagram SNP lunch. There you go. Are you, I was, I was, I've been curious, Amy, are you familiar with Eisenberg's? You know, I'm, I'm not, but uh, that was appealing and I would like to go and visit them now, but I, I, I'm not, I was not uh, aware of them. Yeah, it's, it was, I don't know. I don't, I mean, yeah, an iconic place in New York and not, I don't, yeah, I wasn't sure how famous it was, but from living here, definitely. I mean, I've been here over 20 years, so I was familiar with it. And it's, and when you're back in town, it's worth checking out the, the new rendition, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my mother grew up in New York and I used to go there. Um, so a lot of relatives lived there. So I would go every summer for a couple of weeks and we would go into the city. She was, we she, her parents were living in Queens and eat with my grandfather at lunchtime. He was a lawyer. And at, uh, so we went to a lot of little places, but we didn't go there. So I'm going to ask my mother about Eisenberg's. Yeah. Yeah. Ask her about it. It's Fifth Avenue between yeah. 22nd and 23rd. So yeah, I bet you she'll know. And it'll bring up some nice memories. So I'm going to ask. Cool. Okay, great. Well, now I'm going to ask you. It's time for my final question. So um, my next guest is Ben Leventhal. He's the founder and CEO of Blackbird Labs, Inc., which is a new loyalty membership and payments technology company. And Ben is also the co-founder and former CEO of Resi, and the co-founder of Eater.com, who's my guest on episode 34 back in 2014. Ben is, he is a true entrepreneur who always, who has a vision. And if I was going to bet on someone, I mean, I'm going to bet on Ben and this new company, Blackbird Labs. So <laughs> um, yeah. we're going to find out all about it. Uh, but Amy, can you please ask a question for Ben? 
Yeah. So I think a lot of people always want to know about the start of businesses and ask people like Ben, you know, where did you get the idea? But what I want to know from Ben is, does he know, like, when does he decide to leave that business? And does he come up with some sort of metrics or milestones before or at the beginning that tell, you know, that indicate to him when it's time for him to hand it over to someone else and move on to his next project. So I want to know about the end end of his engagement with businesses. I love that question because I want to know too, because it's one of these, I mean, he could have, you could have been, okay, he founded Eater and been like, he still could be with Eater or he still could exactly. be with Resi and he, he moves yes. on. So yeah. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to ask, and I'm glad you asked me to ask him that. So thank you. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. I'm going to listen. I want to hear his answer. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So thank you. Um, that's the show. I wish we had more time to chat and dive into everything else that's going on in Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah. Well, come and visit. We'll show you around, take you to the Zingerman's businesses and then other great food places that are here and uh, watch, let you go see some, you know, your old dorm or the house that you lived in and sat on some sofa on the porch. If you want, we're happy to host you. Oh, thank you so much. I I went I've I've been back a couple times, but and I've been I have to say I have looked at the football schedule this season. I was trying to figure out if I could get there for a game. Um I don't think it's happening, but next I'm thinking next fall I'm going to make it happen. <laughs> if not okay. sooner, but but that could be my, I want to I want to go back to a game. I mean the stadium is so amazing and 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 also even to see what's happening in Detroit and and yes i mean it's i know it's so different now from when i was in school absolutely it is a place to go i mean there i i have gone to detroit more in the last you know i have to before the pandemic for about a year or two and now since more than i had in the first you know 20 years that i lived here so it's well worth the visit it's really happening there Awesome. Well, and thank you so much. I can't wait to come back and come to meet you in person and and take you up on everything you said and um, come to Zingerman's. And um, congratulations on all of your success. And I look forward to seeing everything you guys do next because I know there will be a next. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate you having me. It was really nice talking with you. Uh, my, my pleasure. Thank you. My guest today has been Amy Emberling. She's a founding baker and current partner at Zingerman's Bakehouse in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Their websites, you got zingermansbakehouse.com. You can also check out zingermansdeli.com and zingermans.com. That's the mail order. And you can follow at Zingerman's Bakehouse, at Zingerman's Deli, and at Amy Emberling. And you can follow me on social at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is All in the Industry, and my websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin Chang Barnum. Thanks again to Amy, and thanks to our publicist, Tia. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. So I'm off next week. I'm actually going to a conference out in Napa. I'm going to the Culinary Institute of America's Worlds of Flavor Conference, um, which I'm excited about. And so I'm going to be back with the show on November 9th with Ben Leventhal. So um, 
Hope you'll tune in then. Have a great week or two. And um, thank you as always for being part of all in the industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.